Section 46 of The Cloister and the Hearth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Cloister and the Hearth by Charles Reed. Chapter 43. A change came over Margaret Brandt. She went about her household duties like one in a dream. If Peter did but speak a little quickly to her, she started and fixed two terrified eyes on him. She went less often to her friend Margaret Van Eck, and was ill at her ease when there. Instead of meeting her warm old friend's caresses, she used to receive them passive and trembling, and sometimes almost shrink from them. But the most extraordinary thing was she never would go outside her own house in daylight. When she went to Tergu, it was after dusk, and she returned before daybreak. She would not even go to matins. At last Peter, unobservant as he was, noticed it, and asked her the reason. Methinks the folks all look at me. One day Margaret Van Eck asked her what was the matter. A scared look, and a flood of tears were all the reply, the old lady expostulated gently. What, sweetheart, afraid to confide your sorrows to me? I have no sorrows, madame, but of my own making. I am kinder treated than I deserve, especially in this house. Then why not come oftener, my dear? I come oftener than I deserve. And she sighed deeply. There, Rick is bawling for you, said Margaret Van Eck. Go, child. What on earth can it be? Turning possibilities over in her mind, she thought Margaret must be mortified at the contempt with which he was treated by Gerard's family. I will take them to task for it, at least such of them as are women. And the very next day she put on her hood and cloak, and followed by Richt, went to the hosier's house. Catherine received her with much respect, and thanked her with tears for her kindness to Gerard. But when encouraged by this, her visitor diverged to Margaret Brandt. Catherine's eyes dried, and her lips turned to half the size, and she looked as only obstinate, ignorant women can look. When they put on this cast of features, you might as well attempt to soften or convince a brick wall. Margaret Van Eck tried, but all in vain. So then, not being herself used to be thwarted, she got provoked and at last went hastily with an abrupt and mutilated curtsy, which Catherine returned with an air rather of defiance than obeisance. Outside the door, Margaret Van Eck found Richt conversing with a pale girl on crutches. Margaret Van Eck was pushing by them with heightened color and a scornful toss intended for the whole family when suddenly a little delicate hand glided timidly into hers, and looking round, she saw two dove-like eyes, with the water in them, 
that sought hers gratefully and at the same time imploringly the old lady read this wonderful look complex as it was and down went her collar she stopped and kissed kate's brow i see said she mind then i leave it to you returned home she said i've been to a house to-day where i have seen a very common thing and a very uncommon thing i have seen a stupid obstinate woman and i have seen an angel in the flesh with a face if i had it here i'd take down my brushes once more and try and paint it little kate did not belie the good opinion so hastily formed of her she waited a better opportunity and told her mother what she had learned from rick haynes that margaret had shed her very blood for gerard in the wood see mother how she loves him who would not love him oh mother think of it poor thing ay wench she has her own trouble no doubt as well as we ours i can't abide the sight of blood let alone my own this was a point gained but when kate tried to follow it up she was stopped short about a month after this a soldier of the dalgetty tribe returning from service in burgundy brought a letter one evening to the hosier's house he was away on business but the rest of the family sat at supper the soldier laid the letter on the table by catherine and refusing all gordon for bringing it went off to sevenbergen the letter was unfolded and spread out and curiously enough though not one of them could read they could all tell it was gerard's handwriting and your father must be away said catherine are ye not ashamed of yourselves not one that can read your brother's letter but although the words were to them what hieroglyphics are to us there was something in the letter they could read there is an art can speak without words unfettered by the penman's limits it can steal through the eye into the heart and brain alike of the learned and unlearned and it can cross a frontier or a sea yet lose nothing it is at the mercy of no translator for it writes a universal language when therefore they saw this a picture of two hands clasped together which gerard had drawn with his pencil between two short paragraphs of which his letter consisted they read it and it went straight to their hearts gerard was bidding them farewell as they gazed on that simple sketch in every turn and line of which they recognized his manner gerard seemed present and bidding them farewell the women wept over it till they could see it no longer giles said poor gerard in a lower voice than seemed to belong to him even cornelis and sybrand felt a momentary remorse 
and sat silent and gloomy but how to get the words read to them they were loath to show their ignorance and their emotion to a stranger the dame van eck said kate timidly and so i will kate she has a good heart she loves gerard too she will be glad to hear of him i was short with her when she came here but i will make my submission and then she will tell me what my poor child says to me she was soon at margaret van eck's house richt took her into a room and said bide a minute she is at her horizons there was a young woman in the room seated pensively by the stove but she rose and courteously made her way for the visitor thank you young lady the winter nights are cold and your stove is a treat catherine then while warming her hands inspected her companion furtively from head to foot inclusive the young person wore an ordinary wimple but her gown was trimmed with fur which was in those days almost a sign of superior rank or wealth but what most struck catherine was the candor and modesty of the face she felt sure of sympathy from so good a countenance and began to gossip now what think you brings me here young lady it is a letter a letter from my poor boy that is far away in some savage part or other and i take shame to say that none of us can read it i wonder whether you can read yes can ye now it is much to your credit my dear i dare say she won't be long but every minute is an hour to a poor longing mother i will read it to you bless you my dear bless you in her unfeigned eagerness she never noticed the suppressed eagerness with which the hand was slowly put out to take the letter she did not see the tremor with which the fingers closed on it come then read it to me prithee i am wearying for it the first words are to my honoured parents ay and he always did honour us poor soul god and the saints have you in his holy keeping and bless you by night and by day your one harsh deed is forgotten your years of love remembered catherine laid her hand on her bosom and sank back in her chair with one long sob then comes this madam it doth speak for itself a long farewell i go on bless you girl you give me sorry comfort still tis comfort to my brothers cornelis and sybrand be content you will see me no more what does that mean i to my sister kate little angel of my father's house be kind to her ah that is margaret brant my dear his sweetheart poor soul i've not been kind to her my dear forgive me gerard for poor gerard's sake 
since grief to her is death to me ah and nature resenting the poor girl's struggle for unnatural composure suddenly gave way and she sank from her chair and lay insensible with the letter in her hand and her head on Catherine's knees. End of section forty six. Recording by John Brandon.